Shall we kick it? What is up? What's bum, going bum, on? Welcome to, we just realized that this is the seventh instant everything. This is uh, six more than I've ever done in my life before this. <laughs> if that makes any sense. It doesn't. Uh, what's going on? How are you, Kevin? I'm doing great, man. Uh, it was, it's was. it been pretty nice outside the last few days. Today warmed back up, but whatever. I'm still riding that high. Hey, man, it's August. What can we yeah. say? Yeah, our, yeah. our last episode was on keeping cool. Yeah. And I've... Uh, I've been thinking a lot about the different ways to keep cool, and I have not exercised any of them. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you what I have done. I have complained a lot about the heat. Well, you did change your air filter, you told I me. I did. Oh, actually, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I, I took that I took that to heart, so <laughs> thank you for that. Dude, you're welcome, man. If I can make a difference in one person's life. We do this podcast so that I change, so I have a way to remind myself to change <laughs> my air filter. at Or that. other household chores. That's the whole purpose of this it was good because it's a good way to learn things kevin and that's why we're here today because we're going to talk about teachers and the education system certainly it's gonna be a lot of fun um did you go to school uh ever no 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 no. (laughs) you're so well behaved for uh props to your mom and dad for doing an excellent job uh but no what was your favorite topic in school oh man it changed year to year but what immediately springs to mind is uh biology oh yeah that was fun that was a lot of fun cool um i was a big fan of girls basketball girls basketball yeah, yeah. i once helped coach a girls soccer team so you know that's I cool like man i was so girl crazy in high school oh yeah i mean yeah it was yeah. you know i thought i was bad in college but i look back on some of my high school experiences and <laughs> woo the human body is just insane at that age you know it's pretty much the only thing that occupied my mind at that time <laughs> of my life yeah. you know? can you imagine how difficult it must be to be a teacher to have to deal with these hormonally Oh like, goodness. you know, constantly evolving and changing for the first time, learning and experiencing their place in the world, weird moments and rejection and acceptance. Yeah. And lots like, and lots of rejection. Wha- <laughs> <laughs> the Kevin Hand story. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> well, uh, because we're going to be talking about teaching and the education system, we figured it would be so awesome to talk to somebody that is very heavily involved in that. So our guest today is going to be Michael Massa. He is a principal of a Richmond City School. That's pretty awesome, right? Yeah, definitely. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And so uh, we need to get the expert's opinion on all of these things and hear, hear it from his mouth. And to process them, we will also need a totally normal person. Today's totally normal person is going to be Mariah Davis of the Virginia Conservation Network. She is awesome, super fun, super excited to talk to both of these people. Sweet. Before we talk to both of these people, we have to, by law, by law, by law, we have to start with just the facts. Just Just the facts. facts. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be funny if there was a law? It would be the most, it would be the dumbest use of taxpayer dollars. That's the only reason I've been doing this, because I thought there was a law. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, there is a law. All right, so we're going to talk about some interesting facts behind the life of teachers and the education system, and we'll also get into some uh, fun numbers pertinent to the topic as well. Uh, What did you do this month? You did the interesting Interesting. tidbits. Interesting tidbits. Do you want to kick us off? I'd love to. Yeah, I'll lead it off. Yeah, go for it. So um, teaching takes a myriad of forms, and um, I decided to do three different uh, themes for each of my facts. Um, The first theme is school, the second is teaching, and the third is a secret. We'll get to that in just a moment. Secrets. All right, so the first, the first fact is about a school, specifically the Dong Zhong Mid 
Cave Primary School in the mountainous Miao village in Guizhou Province, China. I looked up the pronunciation. <laughs> well done, well Thank done. You. What happens Guizhou, in this? Guizhou. What happens in this school, dude? So, all right. So, Guizhou is one of China's poorest provinces and pre- receives no government support. So, instead of using resources, instead of uh, this province using their own resources to build a school out in the open air, they used a giant cave in 1984 uh, with eight teachers and 186 students. All right. Do they have to go spelunking to go to class? Dude, some of those kids were walking six hours a day. Wow. Just to and from school, just to get to school and just for an education. You know, I hated, I hated, good Lord, I hated high school so much. (laughs) You know, I hated going to school. Much less walking six hours. These kids are walking six hours to go to school in a cave. In a cave. In a cave. Wow. Um, 23 years after the school opened, it was closed by Chinese authorities. A government spokesperson said that the change was necessary because China is not a society of cavemen. <laughs> That's a direct quote, dude. <laughs> I but, love I love when government makes awesome statements like that. I, I looked up, we speak for everyone and here's the yeah. most eloquent way of saying it. We're not cavemen, dog. I looked up at like what school that the government officials put in place of the school they closed, and I can't find anything. So I don't know. Whoa. I, I don't know what's going on with uh, Guizhou prov- province. Well, one thing that's kind of cool is, you know, uh, caves are always the same temperature year-round. So at least there's that. Dude, look up photos of this. All right. I there, should. There was I a should. basketball court. There was a basketball in court. In the cave. It's, it was a giant cave. It was enormous. What? 186 students, and they had all the room they could possibly need. In a cave. In a cave. There's a basketball court. Maybe a half court, but at least sure. a half court. At least. Regulation uh, size. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know it, dude. <laughs> There's also a swimming pool um, on the back. Did you, <laughs> did you see that back there? I didn't see the photo. That was one of the like classic jokes in... Every school I went to, they were like, you know, there's a swimming pool on the roof, right? Actually, oh my goodness, yeah. And if you fall for it, then you're an idiot or something. For, for the first two years of my school, I was like, in my high school, I was like, when am I going to see the swimming pool? <laughs> <laughs> Where is this alleged pool? Is it next to the pizza shop? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's cool. Okay. A school in a cave. Yep. All right. Hmm. The uh, Dongzhong Mid-Cave Primary School. Dongzhong means little cave. Wow. Okay. Oh. A little bit of uh, geography, a little bit of history, and a little language lesson, all in one fact. I think the I think the takeaway of that fact is like these kids were walking six hours because they valued their education that much. Yeah. You know. And we complain about getting on a bus yeah. and being yeah. chauffeured and to being fed lunch. Yeah, to our non-cave normal building school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next up is about teaching, um, or teachers, according to Sir Gary Cooper, professor of organizational psychology and health at the University of Manchester's Business School, and he was a former government advisor on well-being. Teaching regularly ranks among the world's most stressful jobs. Big surprise. It's the students. Oh, my No, I'm sure. It's, there's, it's I'm, the kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's dude. Like, it's uh, a lot of it. It's, it's the, oh, so much. There's, it's you so know, there's, much. The, there's the bureaucracy of the uh, education system. Yeah. There's the unfortunate low wages that a lot of teachers are, you know, always complaining about. And rightly so, you know. Uh, yeah, it's very stressful. So go, uh, go ahead. He says that uh, of all the occupations that he studied, and that's about 80, teachers are in the top three most stressed occupations. The hours are long and antisocial, the workload is heavy, and there is change just for change's sake from various governments. Um, other high-stress jobs, this is, where, this is where teachers rank. 
up there with high-stress jobs such as firefighters, military personnel, police officers, and airplane pilots. Wow. Teachers are uh, right up there. Wow. And what a service they provide, too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, I mean, the reason that you and I are able to understand these sentences that are being flung back and forth to you and I is because there were a lot of teachers involved in making sure that we grew up to understand this kind of stuff so that we could converse. Certainly, dude. They planted so many seeds of learning and understanding that still grow today. Things I look up in my free time and want to understand better. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So you have one more fact for one us. More. This one's this a bit is of the a secret. Long one. This, this is the secret. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. This is a secret. Uh, so we talked about a school. We talked about teachers. All right. Now, what about the science of learning? Oh, okay. okay? Sure, right. sure. So, Prabir. Yes. Have you ever felt like you were overthinking things while trying to learn something new? Every single yeah, every time single I do time. anything. Every yeah, single yeah. time. Every single time. All right. Uh, watch me try to do a wheelie on a mountain bike. It's not good. All right. Uh, but my friends can do it nonstop. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, <clears throat> this is a bit of a long one, but I think it's fascinating. A new study published in Nature Neuroscience may have an answer to that problem with our overthinking things. Okay. After studying a subject's brain activity, as those subjects figured out a new game, researchers discovered different neural activity in those subjects who learned the game fastest. All right, so the, the people that were learning the game fastest, they saw marked differences in those subjects' neural activity. Um, subjects in the study attempted to complete an easy activity as their brains were monitored with fMRI, which shows blood flow in the brain. This allowed researchers to see which parts of the brain were activated as participants learned the new game. The researchers' conclusion is surprising. This work gets cool. Subjects whose brains demonstrated lowered neural activity are the ones that learn the game fastest. Oh. Yeah, dude. Um, the brain regions in which less activity was better were the executive function regions of the brain. Uh, executive function refers to a set of mental traits associated with goal setting and achievement. These traits include the ability to make and follow through with a plan, resist impulses, pay attention and learn from past experiences. And these are the regions that we're seeing lower neural activity. Wow. The frontal cortex isn't fully developed until young adulthood, which might explain why it's easier for children to learn languages and other new skills. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. It's making sense, right? Okay. okay um, yeah. the, n- the next task is for researchers to figure out how some people are able to slow down or block executive function while they learn. In the <laughs> meantime, don't overthink it the next time you try to learn something new. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. So the lesson is, everyone, think less, Just learn re- more. Yeah, think less, <laughs> learn more. Just relax. I guess, uh, yeah. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. So they noticed that with lesser neural activity, those the, the individuals with lesser neural activity learned more, mm-hmm. learn more quickly, right? And, yeah, that's and the idea. Where, where they saw differences in neural activity were not in the regions of the brain that that would coordinate like uh that would uh, benefit coordination in playing this game or memory retention i think all of the things that could distract you while you're trying to learn something new and there are a lot of things that will distract you right yeah I absolutely mean, especially when you're in high school i mean you oh have my God. <laughs> a million different things you're thinking about yeah. whether it's that show that you're gonna go see or what you're gonna wear for halloween or whatever right. I mean, yeah yeah it's it's June and I'm worrying about what yeah. I'm gonna wear in hell. Who's gonna cool, be the man. fourth Ninja Turtle? God. <laughs> <laughs> 
AJ's been acting weird. Yeah, AJ. <laughs> Why has he been acting weird? Edge. I wonder if his brother wants to be a turtle. <laughs> yeah, these are. This is just like a stream of consciousness of the premiere from you know. I'm, I'm also school. worried about that civilization game I have going that I gotta finish when I get home. Not That's my homework. Not nah. my homework. Homework's for suckers. Yeah. That's right. for people who have to think a lot. I'm Alexander the Great, and I'm trying to build some roads. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for those facts. I have the numbers. You know, I love doing the numbers. Dude, my, I, yeah, I'm stoked. I it's want my to favorite one. Okay. So um, I came up with some pretty uh, silly numbers and we will do them in, let's do them in reverse order because, Whoa. Yeah. yeah, instead of going from smallest to biggest, Kevin, let's go the other way this wow, time. Wow. Okay. Biggest to smallest. Okay. Let's start with the number 90. 90? Okay. 90 okay, is a good one. Okay. And I actually have experience in this. And when we initially started doing a show about teaching and everything, I wondered how much of my childhood teaching, exp- oh, I'm sorry, uh, student experience I could bring in from when I was living in India. Mm-hmm. So in India, I went to school in Mumbai and in Ahmedabad and in Rajkot. Those are three cities that I lived in while I was a kid in India. Now, the average size of a classroom for an Indian classroom, there are approximately 90 students per classroom. Oh, wow. So you think about the job of a teacher for 90 students. Oof, that's tough. That's a lot. But I remembered remembered going through uh, some of my old photos and just some stuff that my family still has from India and certainly ran across some uh, school-related things. And, you know, they give you these things every now and then that gives you a list of... It's like a report card, essentially. Instead of saying you're getting an A, B, C, D, F, what they do is they rank you. So, I would, you know, if I come home with, you know, 1 to 10 to 15, my parents are pumped. Right. If I come home with, like, 89, they're going to be like, you're the 89th. <laughs> you came in 89th place. But that's how the uh, grading was done. Right, right, right. So it's kind of interesting. You think about having 90 people, 89 other people that you have to contend with at some capacity. And then the teacher who's trying to wrangle 90 people into learning, you know, whatever it is that we're being taught. So I figured from 90, let's go to the next uh, smallest number, which is uh, the number 14. This one's really cool. 14. Okay. There was a gentleman born in the year 1800, and he loved, he loved school so much that he was really just a great student, and he followed all the rules, and da 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 He was so good that he himself started teaching class at the age of 14. What? And that is, that is a real fact. That is William McGuffey. He's considered one of the most famous teachers ever, because at the age of 14, he started teaching his class in Ohio, and then later in Kentucky. And also, when he was 26 years old, he became a uh, appointed professor of language at Miami University. Wow. This guy, straight shooter, 14. What's 14. he teaching at 14? I don't know. You know what, what could anyone teach at 14? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's, uh, here's a cool way to tie your shoe a little faster. Yeah. Check it out. I don't know. If, do kids even wear shoes anymore? All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so out of touch. I'm so out of touch. Yeah. Do, they, do they wear socks anymore? They do the, the bungee, the, the, like the, str- the spiral bungee shoelaces that you just like pull and they spring back into place. Well, I'm not going to judge it till I try it, but believe me, Kevin, I will judge it. Light up shoes are coming back, by the way. Are they? Did they go anywhere? They, they came back and then they left and now they're coming back again. Last number that we have here. <laughs> <laughs> That was my, like, and moving on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's the last number. 3.1. 3.1, all right. Tiny little number. Tiny little number. Until I add the next word. Then it becomes the biggest number we've dealt with on this show. 3.1 million. That's how many te- full-time teachers we have in the United States of America. Whew. 390 wow. million people. And of the 390 million people, 3.1 million are teachers. 
those individuals are tasked with the responsibility of educating the future of America. They are trying to train the next generation of athletes, thinkers, fashion designers, uh, musicians, politicians, you name it. And these are probably, in my opinion, some of the most important people that we have. Undoubtedly. You know, yeah. and they just don't get enough love and enough respect. But I'll tell you, man, um, my life would not be the same had it not been for Mrs. Miller, my fifth grade teacher. Aww. You know, she did a really good job of making sure that I got involved with things because she understood that if I kept to myself, then, you know, I was going to miss out on a lot. We're going to talk a lot about teaching and the education system for the next bit of time. Mm. So let's get the party going. Let's get it going. Let's get, let's get our expert in. Let's get Mike Massa to the table and get our learn on with a real teacher. Heck yeah. Let's do it. We're here to talk about teachers and education and all that fun stuff. And I'm so thrilled, Kevin, I'm so excited that our guest today is Mike Massa. What's up, Mike? Hey, how you guys doing? Mike, how long have you and I known each other? Probably... 10, 11. Yeah. So I was one of Mike's students. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> no. <I> oh. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny, though? We're the same age, but I look 10 years older than Premier. And I act 12 years younger than Mike. That's right. So it, it works out At least, that way. Yeah. yeah. What's up, Mike? How are you? I'm doing well. So um, tell us tell us what you are doing right now in your professional career. Um, I am a principal of a high school in the Richmond area. So right now we are quickly trying to get schedules uh, ready and classes leveled and uh, get teachers in the building and ready to start another great, great year. What, tell me about your journey from being Mike Massa, a student in a high school thinking about guitars and baseball and chicks, and then ending up becoming a principal, and try to do it in a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, basically, I had no idea what I was going to do when I graduated from VCU uh, with a degree in criminal justice. I knew I didn't want to be a police officer about 10 minutes into criminal justice. <laughs> it was that but, quick. <laughs> yeah, but I just finished it. Um, so I was in a band. Um, and that's how Prabir and I met, because obviously, I'm sure as his listeners know, he was in a band as well. And so from there, my buddy Trey, who worked at, uh, at a high school around here, was like, hey, um, you should become a teacher, because it was the worst reasons. You get your summers off, and we can play in the band. That's perfect. Well, there you <laughs> go. I know, there I know you so go. many which people is, who do that. Which is just a terrible reason to go into <laughs> education. It's like the worst. So within about two weeks, I went home, and I told my girlfriend, now wife, I want to be in education. This is so much fun. The band was still fun, but it was second. It, I, I was just really fortunate to find my place in, in this crazy world. Awesome. Yeah. And then so you just became a principal pretty recently, right? Yes. I became a principal on July 1st. Nice. Oh, wow. Yes. Congrats. Uh, thanks. I appreciate so it. Is it yeah. Principal Massa? Yeah. I, I got my doctorate like in May. Uh-huh. Um, so... Uh, the kids call me Dr. Massa. Nice. And I make sure and tell the teachers to call me Mike because, you know, you don't have your, your coworkers call you doctor. It just yeah. means you're a terrible person. <laughs> I think that's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, you know, now that I think about it, Kevin, could you start referring to me as Dr. Meta from now? I don't even have my I PhD. do. I do behind your back. 
I just say the duck. I say the duck, and people know what, who I'm talking about. Whatever duck. Yeah. <laughs> what? Tell me about uh, the times of your like when you work. You probably are up super early, and you probably go kind of late. So one of kind of the falsehoods of education to the cynics uh, is that teachers have summers off, and teachers um, have winter breaks, and they get home earlier than most. The cult, the the culture of education and working in education is that really um, you're working and you're trying to find time to also be like a human being and be with your family and so forth. So um, this time of year is pretty intense. So I took a night off last night, but usually I'll try and spend some time with my family. And then um, at about nine o'clock when the kids go to bed, I'll be get back to working again. And, and you know, it's just, you just work very often. And if you're passionate about it, it doesn't feel like work necessarily. And of course, sometimes it does no matter what. Right. And mm-hmm. plus you have a lot of variables that you must constantly keep right. in mm-hmm. the front of your mind, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, yeah. What's what's some of the weirdest stuff that you know you would that you work on that we just normally don't ever think about? You know, unfortunately, I think any educator and any educational leader would want to think that their job is ninety percent instructional leadership. So really, watching instruction and helping um, grow um, really efficient and, and really good instruction in the building. But really, you you spend a lot of time on issues with discipline and with just building management, and the discipline stuff can get really strange real quick where you know you go home and you I don't know you were like searching websites for terrible cyberbullying and then you were dealing with watching grainy weird video of trying to figure out who drew something in the bathroom and then dealing with, with two girls who are at odds and you're mediating them or two teachers that are odds or a teacher and a student and a parent and it just it, you just never know from one day to the next um, and that's what's exciting about it. So you're kind of like the educational referee. So to speak. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's <laughs> we were you have to throw a towel out every I, I think in specifically in administration but also in classroom and 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 managing your classroom and and we're and constantly trying new things with instruction you're constantly self-evaluating, which is something that's very unique to education, I think. Cool. Now, you started as a teacher, Mm -hmm. and then I guess you liked it enough to where Mm -hmm. you wanted to keep going, and now you're a principal, right? Yeah, you know, I I started out as a claims adjuster at Traveler's Insurance, and I'll name that specifically because of how terrible it was. Yeah. (laughs) um, I dropped them, actually. I used to have them. Yeah, you should, because they're just all awful. The worst. Yeah, yeah, it's like in Dante's Inferno. One ring is just (laughs) Traveler's traveler's Insurance (laughs) that he travels through. So um, so that's, I think, that's how they got their name. Um, So... um, (laughs) so, Um, I was working at Travelers, and I was in the business of being a claims adjuster um, out of college, and it kind of worked to my criminal justice degree, the first degree I got. They would, you know, just constantly be trying to figure out ways how to disenfranchise and rip off people with different cases. And so I didn't feel like I was making a difference, and that was, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily... Probably for education, I'm more than a cynic than most, but I did have at least enough of an idealistic streak that I wanted to know that what I was doing mattered in some kind of way to someone. And, you know, I would sit in meetings and they would like, there'd be like some sales guy talking to us all, like sweaty, drinking coffee about (laughs) how the company was losing money. And, you know, there'd be like frantic people around and I would just constantly like, man, I don't care at all if they're losing money. Good. Um, and so yeah. that, I was the worst employee St. St. Paul Travelers Insurance ever had. Right around the time of the hurricanes, when ripping people off became their big business, I, 
my wife who worked there as well, we kind of jetted and I needed to find a new, uh, a new gig. And that's when education came around. I kind of fell into it and I, and I worked at a really at-risk school as many, unfortunately, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but at-risk schools need just as many veteran teachers as they need new teachers. And the nature of the at-risk school is that there's probably not as many people who wanna work there. So they're saying, hey, guy without an education degree that has no experience, we'll take you and teach you on the job. For many, that doesn't work out. For me, it did. So um, that's, that's how I got there. I, I applaud you for making it through that, man, because it, it yeah. can't be easy. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's terrible. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, dialogue that happens about these at-risk schools mm -hmm. in general, mm -hmm. and we've had brief conversations at Bamboo or whatever about yeah. this, yeah. but I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this. Now, currently, we have a mayoral election mm -hmm. in the works yep. for Richmond, Virginia. Yep. What do you think the people of Richmond mm -hmm. should be thinking about in terms of the mayor and the impact on these at-risk schools? Well, the at-risk schools are the absolute biggest problem that Richmond is facing. And I don't want to beat up on, on Richmond City Schools because I'm a big proponent and, and I support them. And the way our Commonwealth is set up with you know uh, independent school zones or independent cities, it, it, it creates a situation where we can't share the different resources that we have around the Richmond region. Sure. But in terms of the Richmond City Public Schools being an issue, it's an issue for the region and not just for Richmond. I think what, to go back to your question, what voters need to be thinking about with Richmond Public Schools is first that the issues that Richmond Public Schools are facing are the number one issue in this campaign. It has to be. And the second thing that they should realize, while I'm a huge sports fan, um, an enormous sports fan, and I'm a music fan as well. All of, nothing will keep middle class people in the city of Richmond after um, they get out of college and sending their kids to public schools. Nothing will keep business in the city of Richmond. Um, nothing will uh, continue to grow Richmond like the investment in public schools. A, a, a football team summer camp is not going to do it. A baseball stadium is not going to do it. As much as I love the arts, it's not necessarily going to be a huge, um, a huge auditorium. You know, all of those things are great for the city, but that's the dessert. You know, you look forward to. But first, you have to eat your vegetables, and of course. we got to eat our vegetables and get the schools back in shape. Got it. Got yeah. it. So you, so that is a very well, very well yeah, put. That was, uh, that was, yeah, and very great. passionate too. Yeah. Right. Well, it, you know, you're right. right. It, it is a huge issue, and I've always said mm -hmm. that it is the number one. Yeah. Thing. It's the number right. one problem the city faces um, at this weird ignored level. Yeah. You know, it, how does that get addressed, though? I guess that voters need to force the um, their, their elected officials to really be pragmatic. And that means that rather than looking at it as just a school issue, they're going to need to look at it as just an economic issue. The leading economic indicator in any successful city is its public school system. So they have to right the ship if they want to. They want Richmond to continue this really beautiful renaissance that the city's had, um, even making it out the other side of the Great Recession. Well, hopefully <clears throat> that becomes a topic that is discussed right. among more tables yeah. Yeah, in yeah. the next few months, and hopefully the uh, new, I guess the new cha change of guard that's about to happen. Right. Hopefully they do something about right. that. You know, hopefully. To, to go a lot further back to kind of uh, see where you're coming from, uh, what was your first experience with a teacher that made you really appreciate teachers? Well, 
that you can remember. That oh, I've got, I, I definitely can remember, you know. Oh, and let me preface that by saying the first teacher you had absolutely, like the first teacher I had absolutely impacted me. Right. It's just I'm talking about that moment where something kicked in and I was like, oh, I get right. it now. This right. is so important. You know? Well, in first grade, I had my first grade teacher was a new a new teacher and she was just beautiful. And so that was the way it first <laughs> impacted me. Um, and I, my dad, I think, is all of a sudden he was like interested in my, my yeah. education. I need to join the PTA. Yeah, yeah. He did. That's so funny. He was the president. I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, but to answer your question, that's a terrible answer. I'm sorry. To answer your question seriously, you know, in high school, I guess on a personal level, um, I went through kind of some adversity with some issues with my family dynamics and with, um, you know, uh, who was making money and who wasn't in my family and all kinds of kind of crappy things like that. And so I acted up in school, got some suspended, you know, just did some stupid stuff. And, you know, I, I went to school looking like, you know, a kid that came from well-off backgrounds and so forth. So I think that a lot of teachers, you know, just did a suicide and were like, oh, he knows how to act. He's just a jerk, you know, but really a good teacher will meet a student where they are both in intellectually and in terms of how they're acting and forge a relationship so they can guide that person as a learner and as a human. And I had a teacher, Mr. Sanzenbacher, who I've looked all over Facebook and, and um, Twitter and I can't find. So he's either joined ISIS or he's just not a <laughs> member of it. But um, at the time he was, um, you know, he just sat me down one day. He was a political science teacher. This was inside the Beltway where I grew up. So that was a big thing. And he was like, hey, you know, you're really bright and, you know, you're just making fun of everybody else's opinions, but you have your own and you're not saying it. So it just makes you look dumb. I mean, he just told me straight up. And I loved that. That's um, such a Mike Massa thing to say. Yeah, yeah, it was wow. great. Yeah, I yeah. could hear you saying that to me at well, Bamboo. <laughs> you know, as, a, as all educators, just think about us, model their idols to some extent, you know? Just like when, you know, we were writing songs and everything I write sounds like Neil Young. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. he's the educational, my educational Neil Young. So he got me an internship in Capitol Hill in U.S. Congress working for Jim Moran, who was a congressman um, up until recently from Alexandria. So that's a perfect example of a teacher pulling a student aside, building that relationship, talking to them, and then finding a way to uniquely um, inspire and engage them in education. So, yeah, he was an nice. exemplar. That's yeah. so cool, man. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking your time yeah. this, uh, this evening to talk with us. Uh, is there anything else that people should keep in mind as they move through the journey of life about teachers? Um, I just think that currently in the United States, there is just this real cynical attitude towards education educators. And you will hear in the campaign this year and so forth how we rank this or that. And there's no ranking countries against one another because their curriculums are so vastly different and their testing methods are and who they test are so different but U.S. public education is the golden standard in my opinion and teachers do a tremendous job so I think that it is absolutely right that we honor our first responders and our military and so forth but the teachers are working really hard in one of the most important jobs we have absolutely well put yep. well yeah. put awesome well hey man that's and that's why we asked Mike Massa <laughs> dude that was, that was great thank you um, yeah. now that we've talked to the expert right I think we need to squeeze that lemon into the lemonade glass of the totally <laughs> normal person. Is this a euphemism for something? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where you're I didn't, going. I didn't go to school for metaphor. Okay. Uh, clearly, uh, the used car of Some tables. sort of parable. <laughs> I think he's trying to tell us a parable. I'm not. Yeah, I, I think what I'm saying is like now that we have all this knowledge, which I'm considering a lemon, let's squeeze it and get the knowledge to get into a cup. Look. I like vitamin C. Let me scrap all this, all right? This this, this is all going to get edited out. So here, let's do this. Will, will there be magazines available for that? <laughs> are we you're going to have to edit that out. Are we, putting, 
are we putting ice in the lemonade? <laughs> There's ice, yeah. All There's, right. We're putting ice and ISIS in the lemonade. Oh. Too. All right, uh, let's start that one over. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> now that we've talked to Mike, uh, and, <laughs> and he's given us so much great knowledge on the education system and uh, some pretty awesome opinions and uh, some pretty wonderful thoughts for us to keep in mind, let's bring out our totally normal person and get some perspective on this giant topic with Mariah Davis. Right on. Let's do it. Okay, uh, so that was cool. Mike Massa, Mike Massa in the house. That was awesome. That was really the, the passion was incredible. I'm glad that Mike was able to talk to us. He, of course, is an expert in the system. He is a principal now. But uh, as important as it is to get the expert's opinion, it is also nice to check in with the totally normal people of this world on these topics, right? And so, what what better totally normal person than Mariah Davis of the Virginia Conservation Woo! Network? Welcome, Mariah. What's Thanks. happening? How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. Thank you for being on the show. Let me ask you the first question right away. Yes, let's do it. Okay. Who are you? Where'd you come from? What's up? I'm Mariah Ashley Davis. Um, I'm from Chesapeake, Virginia. Um, I usually tell people I'm from Virginia Beach because who here has heard of Chesapeake? No. Oh, only yeah. after, oh, I, only okay. after I moved to Richmond. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's usually, sinking, you know. It's usually one. <laughs> it totally is sinking. It's usually one of those places that you you drive through to go through Nags Head. So, yeah. uh, growing up there, it's always been kind of close to the beach and the environment and that kind of thing. And I fell in love with the area, so I decided to go to school in Richmond to pursue environmental studies at VCU. And then I got this really cool job that I actually found out about through one of my college courses. And then I became an employee there. And then that's how I found you all wonderful people at Gather. Yeah. Nice. The Gather story is so strong. I mean, there's so many people have met so many other people just by working out of one room together. Well, when you're working together or away, what are you working towards? Uh, So, Virginia Conservation Network is a coalition of 120 environmental organizations throughout the state. And so we work throughout the year to paint this beautiful environmental picture before our state legislators. So we make sure during when it's time to vote during the General Assembly period that they vote the right way and so that they're thinking consciously about the environment. So, right on. So it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because when we were talking to Mike about this upcoming election, uh, we were talking about how education is such an important part of it, if not the most important part of it, right? What's your take on the current landscape of education as far as you see it? How do you how do you feel about the system right now? Um, I used to do outdoor education with students, um, and these were at-risk students that worked uh, uh, that they lived in the Easton and the Southside communities, and um, they need a lot of help. Uh, the school systems just you know the schools that I would see their infrastructures like their their buildings their roofings like they need a lot of help so I've been following the elections a little bit um, and I know you know a couple great people who are running for the school board so I hope that they do well and they're very successful but um, just from from what I've seen we always need more teachers and and they are out there um, but yeah I, w- I would say it needs help um, I went to a really good school um, I was very fortunate to grow up in a pretty decent neighborhood. Um, so actually, when I, w- I was going to a school called Deep Creek in Chesapeake, and um, it was all right. Um, and then they built this newer school called Grassfield High School, right? So it's like the new, like... Incidentally, they had to 
level of grass field to build it probably right <laughs> it's a pretty flat piece of land this yeah is Willow Oaks. Why? <laughs> well that's what used to be here <laughs> before we built a yeah here. so they cleared some cornfields and some farm space and it looked pretty flat they put a they put a school there i just found out it's actually like top like 50 or like 100 like high schools in the area which is really awesome nice. and, and great to see um, so there's, cool. you know, definitely a dis, you know, dispersed like disparity, you know, depending upon where you live. Um, but we always need more great teachers. Always, 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 always need always. more of everything good, right? Yeah. Well, we we took on a we took on a couple of interesting research projects for this show, where we wanted to get into some of the perhaps unknown facts and unknown numerical metrics of teaching. So we want to share them with you and just get your reaction on uh, on. What, what you think of these things. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, you want to kick off your... Kevin's got some weirdly awesome... awesome I like mine yeah. this month. Yeah, yeah. No, this this first one is a killer. Premier's got the numbers this month. Numbers are always... God, numbers golly, are easy, I love one, numbers. One, two, three. I Everyone love numbers. Loves numbers. Yeah. yeah, but this is Four, really five, cool. seven. <laughs> but uh, all right. So my facts this month. Um, I got a fact about a school. I got a fact about teachers. And I got a fact about... Uh, it's a secret. But... Uh, You'll like it. Um, okay, so my first fact is about the Dongzhong Mid Cave Primary School. Um, it's located in a mountainous village in um, the Guizhou Province in China, um, Miao Village to be exact. Um, Guizhou, uh, Dongzhong means little cave. Um, and this province that this cave is located in, um, it's, it's a terribly poor province in China. And uh, there's no governmental support uh, for building schools in that area. So in 1984, eight teachers, uh, along with 186 students, set up a school inside of a cave. All right. Um, that's just re that's still just remarkable that they thought, you know, we need some place that's covered, obviously. Yeah. Uh, what about a cave? There's like, there's like, if you, you like, I, I urge everybody to go home and look this up. I know it'll be terribly difficult to spell. Let's leave a link on the, Perfect, uh, perfect. Because the, the pictures are incredible. There's uh, several wooden structures. There's a, at least a half court basketball court in this cave. And these kids in this region, these, uh, of these 186 students, some of them were walking six hours a day in, in pursuit of education. Something that I think some of us terribly undervalue. Um, and, would you, uh, would you ever go into teaching if you knew that you were teaching in a cave? <laughs> well, I guess one thing to say, what caves stay the same temperature year yeah. round? So <laughs> that was my like, thought. No, yeah. I was like, like well, you know blasting you're... AC, you know, during like flu season. So there's a good possibility. Uh, I love caves. But caves are great. I mean, you know, a six hour commute on foot, that's, that's definitely something to... <sighs> to consider but you know some of the pictures i saw there were tents set up in the cave so i imagine some of the students just stayed stay there, there. Yeah. five nights a week maybe or however it's set up um uh all good we're calling this a good thing um i mean education is a good thing all good things come to an end and 23 years after the school was opened it was closed by chinese authorities um a government spokesperson is quoted saying that the change was necessary because and i quote china is not a society of cavemen Oh. I looked up. I looked up what <laughs> opened in its place and couldn't find anything. Maybe it's just not a popular story. Oh, it's or... actually a Starbucks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, in the cave. <laughs> 2016. Um, what's What's your next uh, fact here right. for Mariah? My next fact is according to Sir Gary Cooper, professor of organizational psychology and health 
at the University of Manchester's Business School. He was also government advisor on well-being. He says that teaching regularly ranks among the most stressful jobs. He said, of all the occupations he studied, around 80 or so, teachers are in the top three most stressed occupations. Um, and he listed other high-stress jobs, uh, firefighters, military personnel, police officers, airplane pilots. Teachers are right up there with all of that. Uh, we need to respect and understand that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I personally struggle with like, you know, daily tasks like <laughs> washing dishes and getting to work on time and making my bed and that sort of thing. So I can't really imagine like managing, you know, 30 kids, like 35 kids. Like it doesn't sound like a, a huge number when added to the number like you know, right. five plus 30 doesn't sure. sound like it's a whole lot of work, but it, you know, it really is. Yeah, absolutely. So being a principal, I don't, I have no idea how many students that what like I had a senior class of 500. So like 500 times four, like, whoa. So we talked about a school in, um, in, uh, Guizhou, China. Uh, we talked about teaching and the stress related to it. Um, the last fact is about, uh, the science of learning. Um, the neurological processes that uh, that allow us to learn things, uh, some people faster than others. Um, all right, so, Mariah, have you ever felt like you were overthinking things while you're trying to learn something new? All the time. All the time, yeah, <laughs> me too, me too. Um, a new study published in Nature Neuroscience may have an answer to that. Um, they studied um, subjects' brain activity as these subjects learned a new game. Um, and they discovered different neural activity in those subjects um, that learn the game fastest. Um, they used an fMRI to, st uh, to analyze the blood flow in the brain as these subjects were learning this new game. Um, the ones that learned the game quickest, here's where it gets surprising, the ones that learned the game quickest had less neural activity than the people that were like struggling to learn it. The brain regions in which less activity was better were the regions of our brain that uh, have us thinking about daily tasks, things we need to be remembering, um, chores we need to do, paying attention and learning from past experiences. So the people that are learning games fastest are actually, they're not focused on all of these uh, extraneous things or even learning the game itself. I guess they just have the ability to relax and uh, allow themselves to focus on what's in front of them. So I think the next step for these researchers is to figure out how can people slow down or stop these neural processes that interfere with our learning process? Yeah, that really does make sense. I guess one thing that I learned going from, you know, public education and then to going to school at like a, you know, biggest, largest university in Virginia was that, you know, you have to kind of learn new study habits, right? Like, you know, it, it's a pretty huge jump, like going from K to 12 and then going to this huge university. It's a totally different structure, right? So I learned very quickly that I, I don't do well with like distractions. If sure, someone's like yeah. next to me and they're like tap, 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 like tapping their pencil or something even during a desk, that's that's all I can focus on. Like I, it takes my attention like completely away from the test or something like that. So I can only imagine for the students who have like distractions at their own home and even you know other extraneous distractions yeah. like maybe even in school like social wise how like hard that, that can that can really be for some people to concentrate but yeah something that I've I know that I've had to learn about myself just going through different techniques of like studying it's like I do really well studying when I'm at the library versus like at home because at home I have distractions like Netflix 
laundry it's whatever it's always, <laughs> yeah. it's always netflix isn't netflix it? So. napster if that's still a thing yeah. i don't know i think that's that's some pretty uh fun stuff about the education i guess uh bucket that we'll call it um i have a bunch of numbers sure. that i want to spit out at you so one of them actually addresses the thing you were just talking about um the number is 90 okay so i went to school in india for the beginning of my educational career and I moved here when I was in the fourth grade so when I was in India I do remember the classes were a little bit bigger you were talking about 35 students being kind of like a pretty big class right mm -hmm. um, so I, I looked at it I, I checked it out the average size of a class in India is 90 students per classroom wow so that's like elementary middle school high school yeah yeah Wow. So 90 per classroom. And, you know, it's funny because upon reading that, I kind of went and talked to my parents about it. And there we went through just some old memories of, you know, the school system in India um, and how much it's changed over time. But the way they used to grade uh, was that you don't get A, B, C, D, and F grades. What you do is you get a number. And that number corresponds with the rest of the people in your class. So if you come home with a, it's a report card basically. If you come home and it says, you know, your number that you were assigned by the teacher was four, that's pretty good. You're gonna get dessert. You know, it's good. Now if you get 89, ugh, that's not that's not good. Although it's gotta suck to come home and be like, um, yeah, my number was uh, nine, and then they're like, oh, it looks like there's a zero after that. <laughs> nah, I'm pretty sure that was a typo. Like, Move your thumb out yeah, of the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. 90. You're you're in 90th place. Ugh. Anyway, so 90 students is the average for the classroom size in India. A lot of kids, a lot of kids. All right, so check out this other number. The, no the number that I like a lot here is 14. This is a fun one. Okay. Um, there's an individual by the name of William McGuffey. He's considered one of the most important teachers of all time. It's because of this, it's because I think this is really fascinating. Okay, so William McGuffey was born in the year 1800. So all right. way back then. And he's, he was so into learning that he actually started teaching classes himself at the age of 14. That's awesome. 14. He's rocking out. What the hell do you teach him? <laughs> what do you teach him when you're 14? You know. But uh, what were you doing when you were 14, Mariah? Were you teaching classes? Okay, so 14. Eighth grade going into ninth grade. I was thinking about like probably, I don't know, like boys or something like maybe and like <laughs> like puberty and like. <laughs> were you thinking a lot about puberty? Oh. Uh, like, what is happening to like my left scary, ear? Like scary, like high school, you know, like things like which lunch table am I going to sit at? Sure, or sure. Like, but you weren't teaching is what you're saying? Definitely <laughs> not. I played a lot of like sports and I think that's all I was. I think I was, I was into the sports. I was not into, I wasn't teaching. The next number is 3.1. Small number. 3.1. All right. I mean, little, but it's actually a huge number. 3.1 million actually is the number. Um, and that's the amount of teachers that we have working full-time in the United States of America. Would you ever consider becoming a teacher? Yeah, I've, I've definitely thought about it, uh, like later in life, going back to be like a professor or something like that. Um, Everyone but, wants to be a professor. Everyone right. wants to be yeah. a college yeah. professor, yeah. Right? right? Nobody wants to, nobody wants to do the hard work of dealing with these uh, crisis situations and at-risk areas, you know. I did see something very recently while doing a lot of research for this. Um, one of my favorite people that has ever lived is Carl Sagan. And of course, I had to dip into the Carl Sagan uh, part of the internet 
which is a vast portion of the internet. Oh, yeah. Um, but he had this wonderful thing that he said, and I would like to uh, leave us on this note. Yeah. I think this is kind of a beautiful statement here. Um, he was talking to someone, he was being interviewed on television, and he said that, you know, when people, when he teaches fifth grade classes or when he's in doing class lectures as a guest scientist or whatever, the kids ask questions like, why do we have bones? Why can't I see the air? What happens when mountains grow too big to be mountains do they you know all that and then he said that when they get to the uh, 12th grade they no longer have those questions they no longer have those questions i like what he said he said we and he was talking about we as a culture he said we have done something terrible to these people and i just want to leave it as that like you know we need to be you know that that curiosity that these fifth graders have we can't take away from them you know by the time they turn uh 18 17 or 18 Anyway, um, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, and thanks again for having me. Big thank you to Mike Massa for being our expert. For thanks, being brother. Just so inspirational. So that was awesome. awesome, yeah. Kevin, thank you as always. That was fun. Um, you guys, we will be updating this stuff on our website. Please feel free to check out all the links, all the pictures, all the craziness. Share it, tag it, blah, 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 whatever. We'll see you guys next time for episode eight of Instant Everything. Woo. Peace, y'all.